0: Totally Football Show today. Dateline Norfolk, as in Norfolking chance, and Norfolk saw that coming. Champions, Man City taking a late summer trip to the Canaries and ending up badly burned. We give Norwich a big hand, something they'll be used to with all those fingers, and ponder what the of the future holds. Elsewhere, we salute the Chelsea Ute, bringing the future with tomorrow's goals today. Arsenal, Bournemouth, and so much more in this Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. That's right, listener, you're joined by the Totally Football Show, which today is composed of Daniel Storey. Good morning. Fresh out of the eye. Chelsea State TV mouthpiece, Matt Davis-Adams. Hello there. Hi. And the voice of Watford, Emma Saunders. Good morning. Five Live Sport, uh, you're doing 606 six leagues and... Football Daily Podcast.
1: Correct, yes.
0: Wow, that sounds good.
1: But it's great to be here, so thank you for having me.
0: Oh, great. No, well, that's lovely. And what a great time to be in, because a weekend that's kind of the early days, you know, you you didn't want to give too much importance to any results, but there's a curious look to the table now, isn't there, Daniel?
2: Yeah, it's both a curious look and also the top seven-ish, are about the top seven, as we might expect. But it did feel like a significant Premier League weekend, I think five games in a five point lead between Liverpool and Man City
0: as you'll have read the biggest lead there's ever been at this point in the Premier League and then the same distance five points between City in second and Brighton in 16th it's crackers but that's what we're here for isn't it It certainly is Matt only one place we can start today and that's Norwich's 3-2 win over Man City you're listening to the
3: Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power
0: Newly promoted Norwich City, eight first-teamers out, already conceded ten goals in four games, facing Man City, the champions, who hadn't lost a game since January. And yet, a 3-2 win for the Canaries. We're joined now by Fion Thomas, of for when Saturday comes. Fion, thanks for being with us. Where, where would you rank this in terms of all-time greatest Norwich results? Is, is it up there? Is it beyond what happened with Bayern Munich, Jeremy Goss and all that back in the early 90s?
4: I think the consensus, because this is something that people have been talking about uh, over the weekend is that it's, the best since Bayern, I think people would say. Um, and in terms of uh, a league match, uh, I think it's probably up there as the best ever, you'd have to say, because of sort of the relative quality of the two teams. Um, and again, with that context of the injury crisis and just the the performance, uh, obviously people are talking about Manchester City's defensive errors, which led to led to the goals. But those sort of came as a result of us pressing them high, discipline in midfield really closing them down quickly um so we sort of drew those errors out of them and yeah as i say that the sort of defensive discipline that kept them really to to not that many clear-cut chances
0: mm. It was incredible. And of course, prior to this, you went close against Chelsea, you, you, you troubled Liverpool a bit. And now that you've cleared those eight first-teamers out of the side who clearly were the problem in the first place, <laughs> where, where are the limits? What's the target, do you think, for Norwich, realistically? You, are you dreaming of a return to Europe?
4: Uh, I'd certainly take a return to Europe. And I, I think um, people are, uh, are realistic, given what we went in. With. Uh, we obviously didn't make that many signings. We certainly didn't make many big money signings, uh, as in no big money signings. Um, so I think we're, we're sort of realistic. Uh, about that we just need to sort of finish above the bottom three um I was just looking at the fixtures and the return game against Man City is the last game of the season so I think if we were safe going into that game then we can go and do the double over them I think we'd all take that um we'll see what happens in the, the rest of the season if we pick up any more j- injuries we might be in trouble because uh, we are sort of on the the bare bones now we had uh, two keepers on the bench because we didn't have anyone else to go on the bench so if we can sort of keep people fit uh without any more sort of huge injuries, that would uh, that would certainly help in uh, trying to stay up.
0: Fion Thomas from When Saturday Comes. Excellent. Uh, Tom, our listener, says, given the context, is this Norwich result the biggest shock in Premier League history? And what other shock
3: results compare? I mean, it's huge, isn't it, Matt? Yeah, I was thinking about this when I saw the tweet. I mean, it's how you define shock. I think he means upset rather than, say... City winning 6-1 at Old Trafford right. or, uh, you know, Arsenal losing 8-2 there. And, yeah, I think it is because of the the disparity between City, Liverpool and everybody else in the league and the fact Norwich are, are newly promoted and they had all these injuries. Uh, the only other ones I could think of were Barnsley winning at Anfield, I think, in their one season in the Premier League. Remember Swansea winning there too. But I would say that this probably tops a lot, yeah. All right.
2: There is a, a an assumption or a supposition that Manchester City can be got at if you press high at the pitch and you unnerve them and force this. Well, if you block the passing lanes, then they kind of, particularly Ottomanian stones, can panic in possession. But it's a heck of a lot easier said than done for any club, let alone a club, as we said, who has injury problems and is considered one of the weaker teams in the league. So it just shows the, the discipline and the planning and the coaching that... that Daniel Farquhar is initiated and and that's why he didn't want to buy many players this summer because he thought if he was going to go into the Premier League, he didn't want to be kind of not making things up as they go along, but learning on the job. He wanted to have the exact plans from last season and be able to replicate them.
0: Wow. Andrew Lang wants a bit of love for Cantwell's goal, which I think is fair because it it incorporates a lot of the great elements of Norwich. You've got uh, Gwendir doing his thing in the middle and then Pookie with that wonderful square ball for Cantwell. With a great finish, out-sitting City.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think um, on the face of things, when Norwich first returned to the Premier League, we were all just here for the pookie party. But it was just such a complete team performance from Norwich City. I actually think Buendia, for me, was probably the standout man in that game he kind of sewed it all together and Todd Cantwell just seems like he's so enjoying Premier League football and there's something about Norwich I think they're just not playing with fear are they because they've come up and immediately everyone had them as the team probably to go straight back down and week after week they're doing it against big sides Mm.
0: did Cantwell pick up an injury at the end when he was kind of trying to work his way towards the the
2: corner flag maybe I'm always a little bit suspicious of players getting injuries in the last minutes of games they're winning by one goal and under a bit of pressure wonder, right he was maybe, hobbling a bit yeah maybe with... a bit of game management
3: but right yeah I think I think he'll be all right when Deer and Puky have got all the headlines it'd be interesting to see how they're getting on in two three months time when people are a bit more used to how Norwich play and, and how they play in particular and whether they can sort of maintain their early season form once they do or don't get found out, right? And Manchester City—they do lose weird games every so often. Mm. City, you know, at home to Palace last season, at Newcastle. The problem they've obviously got is is in the centre of defence. But I don't think it's a massive reason for talk of crisis or whatever. It's just this kind of thing happens every so often. They lose a game you think they should win.
1: We we say it's a problem with the centre of defence, but it wasn't like City was short of chances. They had twenty-five shots, at, well, eight on target in that game. Mm. I actually think. It's City's attacking players that need to take some of the responsibility in this game as well. That they just weren't on the money as as they usually are. Especially when you watch those dying moments in that game, they had a number of different chances. But you think in any other match, the likes of Sterling would have put those goals away. Gabriel they Jesus, didn't. I
0: think. Perhaps. Yeah, yeah. That issue at the back, is something you pick up on today, Daniel. Mm. Uh, I think in your winners and losers mm. column on Football Three Six Five. <laughs> where you question why City spent the summer chasing a fullback in João Cancelo oh. <laughs> when Carl Walker was already on the books and yet did nothing to replace Vincent Kompany and any injuries that might occur in the middle.
2: Yeah, it's funny because at the end of last season, Pep Guardiola was talking about centre-backs and Kompany's departure was no real shock, certainly to anyone internally at City. And nor is Nicolas Otamendi having these brain fades and... John Stone, sadly, has faded away. His form's faded away a little bit over the last 12 months. So it's no real surprise. It just seemed an odd one, unless they are going to move Walker centre and Cancelo right back maybe. But it, yeah, it just feels like they doubled up where they didn't need to and are short where they did. Like, right. No one can legislate for Laporte's six-month injury, obviously, but it's a real blow. It happens in football. Carl Walker, spent most of the game filling
0: in for De Bruyne, as far as I can mm. tell, which was a, a curious thing, eventually rectified by the uh, entrance of Kevin, just on the subject of John Stones, the the defining characteristic of Pep, everyone says, is that he makes players better, viz. Raheem Sterling, etc. So, what
3: up with John Stones? Well, maybe it's not a Guardiola problem. Maybe it's a, a John Stones problem. You Are know, you it, hinting at a, you know, an off-field kind of possibly? Yeah, yeah. These things that we we never know the uh, the full truth of, but but around the football whispers there have been uh, You're not doing a Graeme Cuness now are you? No, no, I'm not Uh, Guardiola can coach pretty much anybody but you can't get inside a player's head and be with them 24 hours a day 7 days a week and sometimes things that take place away from the training ground or the football pitch can impact what happens on it
0: There's always the Phil Neville texting technique Uh, in terms of getting in a (laughs) place I'm just saying
2: Uh, I think texting is what got him into trouble in the first place
0: Ah, okay moving on then drawing a veil over all that and saying Man City have now dropped five points already this season and we're only five weeks in. Liverpool, meanwhile, have maintained their perfect start with a 3-1 victory at home to Newcastle. We talk about that after this. <sighs> Uh, Mondays. In terms of popularity they're up there with Brussels sprouts, dental surgery and Neymar, aren't they? But at Paddy Power, we wanted to do something to make Mondays a bit less Monday. So now Mondays are Money Back Mondays when we get you, the punters, to nominate your lost football bet on Twitter, using the hashtag Money Back Mondays, to vote in our Monday Twitter poll, and then we refund on the most popular market as a free bet. Paddy Power, home of the Money Back special. T's and C's apply, no max stake, refund will be
3: as a free bet, does not apply to shop bets, 18 on Spotify, Smart Speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media.
0: 3-1 Liverpool over Newcastle. We thought Newcastle might cause problems and they started well. What What a Goal, Emma, by Jethro Williams. How do I say that? Williams. Williams. Yeah. Willems. yeah. Mm.
1: Yeah, it was a really, really positive start um, from Newcastle. Liverpool just took a little while to warm up in this game and it did seem to all click into place um, once Origi was injured and Bobby Firmino came onto the pitch. Liverpool fans, it's just a Firmino loving at the moment, isn't it? It's true. Give the ball to Bobby, he will score or at least play a part.
0: Bobby Dazzler. no? Everybody from Steve Bruce to someone I read on Twitter, calling him the new Eric Cantona. Why is that? And do you think, as Alex does, Matt, that uh, Bergkamp might be a better comparison in terms of past footballer?
3: Um, Yeah, potentially. I think Firmino's quite unique, though, because he's got the attributes of a Bergkamp, maybe to a lesser extent, a Cantona, but he's the modern footballer in terms of his athleticism as well. So I'm not sure a direct comparison with either of those two particularly works, but he's increasingly becoming... The most important of that Liverpool front three. And and as Emma says, when Origi's on there, the other two look slightly off their game. Once their mate comes on, everything's fine.
1: Trent Alexander-Arnold describes him as the glue that holds the team together. And I think it's almost like there's a half effect on Crystal Palace. When he's on the pitch, I just think the belief in the side will automatically grow. And another really nice quote from Giannino on Firmino, he says... He'd probably get the captaincy at Liverpool, but the trouble is, there's so many different players at Liverpool that kind of well, they could be made captains themselves. They hold those kind of leadership skills, Mm. but he's just a complete player.
0: Uh, Matt, would you give us your Steve Bruce impression? Mm, I can do. Yeah,
3: what would he have said? Read his direct quotes after the game. But if he was comparing Firmino, you know, to anybody. Would have to be maybe Eric Cantona. but a word for the supporters oh, who was magnificent <laughs> today. And the chairman who'd be fair to him has been fantastic with me. It's all about putting a pause in a sentence sometimes where you wouldn't normally have one, you know?
2: St- that I've closed that's beautiful, my dear. I've closed my eyes and dreamed of way <laughs> back and think of Steve.
0: <laughs> and Liverpool. Roll on. They'll be off next to Naples on Tuesday. Presumably getting changed in, in the bus or something. I'm not sure how that's going to work because <laughs> the issues at San Paolo. But, uh, yeah, you can find out on BT Sports Goal Show, of course, that and, and, and all the rest of the Tuesday and Wednesday delights. We'll be previewing that Champions League fixture and all the midweek games in Tuesday's Totally Football Show European edition, of course, with Rafael, Julien, Alvaro and James. Next up on this show, a bit of this. And game. And he gives it to He's going to get his customary goal. Makes him
3: out. Yes, he is. Thank you very much. And good night.
0: Sweet sound of Matt right, Davis-Adams there talking about Chelsea doing a number on Wolves. We mentioned the more normal look to the top of the table with the, the top seven being the kind of big six plus, plus Leicester, who had a disappointing performance away at Old Trafford. Elsewhere while City stumbled on Liverpool, won, he had big wins from Spurs, Man United... And, Chelsea, and of course, that hilarious business from Arsenal, which we'll come on to later. But, Matt, your trip to
3: Molyneux for Chelsea 5, Wolves 2. Good day at the office. Yeah, it was so fun. I mean, watching Chelsea is just ridiculously good fun at the moment because you just get so many goals. Um, having said that, the first half hour of the game was as poor as you'll see. Uh, and then, Really? Yeah, oh, dreadful stuff. There was, like, no shots at goal was the uh, total after half an hour. And then, Fikayo Timori, with his first ever shot in the Premier League, scored the goal, which he will never better if he plays until he's 50. Oh, yeah. And uh, yeah, after that, Chelsea had some fun. And, and of course, the stat that's been tossed around, quite rightly so, is that every goal that they've scored this season has come from an academy player. And and Tammy Abraham, obviously the standout, and you've got to start heaping praise on him in a, in a way that hasn't been done previously because... Of the consistency that he's shown, he yeah. scored two goals against Norwich, two goals against Sheffield United, and three here. You know that's quite remarkable for a player who'd had a, a couple of games four in the Premier League before. Theory. Sorry, <laughs> four here. Yeah, quite. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, thanks to Kepper for that. But uh, as as good as as Chelsea were at times in the game, and, and the academy players uh, took the spotlight. As I say, the the Tammy Abraham thing really brought into stark contrast with me thinking about. Dominic Solanke and, and, mm. and the different paths that they've taken because Solanke and Abraham played in the Chelsea youth team together and Solanke got 42 goals one season and he couldn't agree a new contract with Chelsea. Uh, in got a big one from Liverpool, didn't play for them at all and yesterday he made his first start of the season for Bournemouth uh, for whom he's yet to score and it just feels like a another advert not only for, for the Chelsea academy but for the loan system that they use because if you look at how Abraham has learnt and developed at Bristol City at Swansea and at Aston Villa mm. he's a ruthless goal scorer and, and Solanke's struggling to get a game
0: for all of that and the, the loan system's not mm. often you hear someone uh, praising it the way Chotty's it but for all of that is it not the transfer ban that's really made the difference in this case
3: yeah absolutely and of course the great irony is they've got the transfer ban because of the way that they dealt with young players <laughs> um, but yeah it, were that, did they not have a transfer ban would Tammy Abraham be playing possibly so possibly not but maybe Mason Mount wouldn't and then, Fairly certain Fikayo Tomori wouldn't. Um, but they do have the ban, and so they are playing. And Callum Hudson-Odoi and Reese James both played for the under-23s on Friday night. So they will be back involved pretty quickly, certainly, in, in Hudson-Odoi's case. So for the moment, you know, there's plenty for mm. Chelsea supporters to, to be happy about and enjoy ahead of Tuesday against Valencia. Tuesday against rudderless Valencia, who got done 5-2 by
0: a very hungry-looking Barcelona at the weekend. Uh, There's a broader point here about England's under-21 players. I know this because I read what you wrote about it, Daniel.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I think uh, 11 of the the 23 that went to the European Championships this summer started in Uh, 10 in the Premier League and one in John Joe Kenny in the Bundesliga for Schalke this weekend, uh, which is more than we have become used to. And I think the first couple of weeks of the season, we saw it and we kind of thought, well, yeah, but will this carry on? But it is carrying on. And uh, the transfer ban is Chelsea's best signing of the last few years. I honestly believe that. But Frank Lampard deserves a bit of credit as well, because on the bench yesterday was Olivier Giroud, who could easily have played instead of Tammy Abraham. Um, was Pedro and Ross Barkley who could easily have played over Mason Mount and Kurt Zuma who could easily have played over fakai Tomori. So it isn't just as simple as these are the only players I have, I need to play them. He is actually making the right choices as well. All right. So we, with Chelsea, it's
0: all about the transfer ban and with Wolves, it's all about the Europa League, Emma. Is that right?
1: Well, yeah, apparently so. Uh, I have to say, I do think they're looking in a little bit of trouble, Wolves. Oh, yeah? um, they're winless in five now. I think second bottom in the table. And I just there think is one
0: team worse than them. Though.
1: There are, which we will get to. But off the back of the weekend, it was the body language of the Wolves players that were on that pitch, especially after the Mount goal went in, I think it was. That I think was quite alarming. What happened um, to their body language? Oh, they just visibly dropped the players. Right. They were done in at that stage. Um, and also some questionable team selection in that game. Nuno leaving out Ryan Bennett. Uh, I think for what he said was sh- uh, due to shape and profiles. Vallejo um, made his debut. He's on loan from Real Madrid, who was very poor um, by all accounts. They conceded eight goals in the last two games. Now Wolves, so I think the alarm bells are ringing. Certainly defensively there, um, but it's not only that. I think the midfield, uh, which we've all enjoyed so much with watching Wolves, they look to have been to have dropped a lot as well. They're not servicing Jimenez the way they used to. Um, They didn't really bring in another midfielder in the transfer window, which I think looks pretty clear and obvious now. Um, And they're going into a period now, seven games in the next three weeks. The games are coming thick and fast with them playing in the Europa League as well. And in terms of the league... Two massive games now, Crystal Palace uh, followed by Watford. That game against Watford, who knew, could have been a six-pointer this early in the season uh, at the wrong end of the table. So really, really critical time now for Wolves. I think it would be interesting to see how many points they can get in the bag between now and the next international break. It's minimum four, really, they've got to be looking at.
0: Mm. All right, Braga coming to visit on Thursday in the Europa League, a competition in which they have so far won. All of their games, and possibly it was you, Daniel, saying that you know, at the end of the day, if they do have a great run in Europe, but just kind of blow it a bit in the Premier League, but stay up, that's actually not a bad way. That wouldn't give the supporters a bad season.
2: I don't think. I think supporters would be happy with that. I think the owners, I think Fosun, have kind of got one eye on doing both. Mm. Um, I think the reality is is the Wolves have pretty much the near perfect season last season. They're not playing as well now. Not, I don't think they are a disaster, but they're certainly not playing as well. And fine margins in the Premier League. If you don't play as well as the perfection you achieved last season, you're going to start losing games. And the difference between 7th and 15th in the Premier League this season I don't think will be huge. So games like this really do matter. Um, I don't think they're a disaster. I just think they're slightly doing everything slightly worse than they were last season. Hmm.
0: Interesting. Daniel, you've been part of the Totally Live shows. Is it true that back in the day you weren't also paid to come to one? It is true.
2: Really? Yes. Which one was that? Uh was I it, suspect was it early the old was regime? It, uh, I think it was the old regime, yes. Right, okay. But yeah, I was a, not a football writer at that point. I was a, okay. very much just a punter.
0: And you thought, if these guys can get paid for it...
2: Exactly, very much sold the dream to me.
0: Wow. If you'd like to enjoy a similar experience, listener, I'm delighted to tell you we've got four shows coming up. As you know, we're at the South Bank Centre quite soon, Monday, September the 30th, that's in London. In November, we've got back-to-back shows in Dublin and Belfast. That's the 8th and Saturday, the 9th of November. And then we wrap things up with Liverpool on Monday, the 25th of November, when we'll be joined by Julian Lawrence, Raphael Honigstein and Duncan Alexander. And similar names, they and other Totally Football favourites will be present at all of those shows. So great. If you'd like to know where to get tickets, well, thetotallyfootballshow.com forward slash events, has all the details. Daniel, another Mm -hmm. exciting football experience for you this weekend was seeing Spurs playing at home at 3pm on a Saturday for the first time since December 2016. And when I say at home, obviously I mean at home.
2: Indeed, yes. Uh, After the Wembley experience. And it was a, a really important, easy win for Tottenham because... They haven't played well at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, really. They've scored two goals, I think, in the first, or scored the first goal of the game twice, I think, in the first half at home. They've been really sluggish and slow to start, and teams like Newcastle have proven that you can frustrate them. Palace were complicit in their collapse, but they actually played really well, and they played really well without Harry Kane playing very well. Right.
0: Where where did this come from? Serge Aurier, how much of a role does he
2: He's better than Davison Sanchez at right back. Um, I think it came from the fact that, Crystal Palace saw what Newcastle did and thought, well, we'll do the opposite. They basically tried to play really high at the pitch. Van Arnholt pushed on. Uh, Wilfred Zahar played on the right and kind of stayed really high up, which meant Danny Rose could just surge on however he wanted to. And, and hyung min Son was the star. So, yeah, Mamadi Saku played his first game, I think, it was seven months, and he was pretty wretched, so... They caught Palace on a good day, but, uh, uh, yeah, an important win for Spurs.
0: Okay, so not necessarily the template for a bold new approach for
2: no, Spurs. I, no, I, I kind of described it as a, a cobweb blower, which is what it felt like. It felt necessary, but right. not necessarily um, the immediate answer to all of their prayers. They've got a big game this week. That's, you know, that's the... Away at Olympiakos. Indeed. I think right. that's probably the toughest. It's a huge you know, game,
0: because Olympiakos five of the last six... English sides to go Mm. to Piraeus have come back defeated indeed we should actually be speaking to Pedro Martins the um, Olympiacos manager in Tuesday's European football show ahead of because they're off to an amazing start to the season nine games across Champions League and Premier League and uh, they've won eight of them, drawn the other, conceded one goal and scored 20.
2: Mr. Maranakis is enjoying himself right. at the moment. He the tenuously segued into a <laughs> no, crowbar reference. That's cow, not tenuous at
0: all. So the owners of Olympiacos are also uh, imposing a similarly successful football model at Forest.
2: Uh, it's going well so far. It's 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 similarly chaotic as well, but it is going very well so far. Yes, they obviously won away at Swansea this weekend. And that's are now two points off second. First team to beat Swansea.
3: Mm-hmm. If you only watch one football-related gif from the weekend, make it Joao Carvalho's pass in that game. Oh, you yeah, will it. Why? It's just gorgeous.
2: Very briefly on Forest, and it should be brief, because I always talk about them, but they don't play another top team currently in the top 10 until November the 23rd. So they've actually got a real chance. They've had some tough games, tough away this. games. They've got a chance now, which is when we <laughs> flop. That's good. Well,
0: we shall see. Matt, you'll be uh, covering this and so much more in the Totally Football League show on Wednesday.
3: Yes, and we're going to have Chris Powell in with us, oh, yeah. uh, which will be a delight. Obviously, mm. uh, vastly experienced DFL manager, but more recently appointed to Gareth Southgate's backroom team. So we should be talking to him all about that. Lovely. If You could fill us in
0: later on on how the Cowleys got on in their debut for Huddersfield. That would be grand. Right now, though... Uh, let's just have a quick word about Man United's 1-0 win over Leicester. A significant fixture, possibly a significant result. Not a great game, though. No,
1: it? going into the weekend, I looked at the fixture list and had no idea this would end up, what was it, second last on match of the day? Yeah. It was a pretty dull affair. Uh, the fact it was Rashford's penalty spot kick that was yep. the difference between the two sides in the end um, kind of says everything you need to know. Um, but for Manchester United, it was really, really important when even if it was just narrow in the end, because if they hadn't have won that game, they would have then been 10 points behind Liverpool after just five games this Premier League season. Um, so it really does keep them in the mix, uh, if you like, uh, as we look at that to- at the top six. But I think Leicester will still be, well, they are their fifth. They'll be there or thereabouts. And and ultimately, two cancelled each other out.
0: A lot of people disappointed that Rogers didn't seem to have anywhere to go to in, in terms of the fact that his team weren't able to lay a glove on, on Man United. Yeah, that's,
2: that's always been the accusation against Rodgers that he lacks that plan B. In a way, our disappointment is kind of a compliment to Rodgers and how quickly he's improved Leicester. You know, if we'd have watched a Claude Puel team go to Old Trafford and lose 1-0, we'd have said, that's about right. Now we're saying, that's a shame. Mm. Shows how far they've come in. Let's face it, only six, seven months under Rodgers. Um, but yeah, the, the lack of, the lack of defensive certainty, you know, it was a defensive error for the goal and then the lack of Bite in the final third was a little bit disappointing, purely because Manchester United were so under strength. Right, Maybe. can I, oh, I be
3: massively contrary and say that I think Leicester are hugely overrated? Okay, yeah, they, they've won two games this season: one away at newly promoted Sheffield United, one at home to Bournemouth. Uh, they rarely should've, score more than once in a game. Should have lost at home to Wolves. Should have lost at home to Wolves, yeah. I think it's just one of those where people have picked up on the fact that they've got a decent manager and made a couple of good signings. And yeah, they might finish above Everton, but they're not going to be in the top seat. Don't, Daniel? Don't Hater. leave the hype. Hater, yeah. Is this a, is this a Midlands thing? <laughs> might be Fox a bias <laughs> yeah. painting that. But no, <laughs> genuinely, I think you know they're going to finish somewhere between 7th and 10th. They're not going to. Worry the top four in the right. slightest. I don't think. Do. Yeah, but we have to kind of pretend otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Come on, mate. Uh,
0: next up, uh, the game that had the hashtag of "What Ass," and a performance to match. I would suggest now, Emma. You were kind of obviously trying to keep one eye on this. You were. Where were you, you were anchoring Five Live in Salford? Yes. But somebody cut through the cables of Vicarage Road, so yes. you didn't have comms. Yes. You weren't the only one having problems with leads, eh?
1: Oh. Yes. Yeah,
0: because Arsenal, yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, Yeah. Tell us about what you saw.
1: Yes, um, well, from a Watford perspective, it ended up being everything we could have hoped for, minus the extra two points. Um, it was a massive draw. Actually, now I've had time to reflect and sleep in it. I think there is an element of where a bit gutted couldn't take all three points, because it does yeah. mean we're still bottom of the table still. The main point about this Watford performance... Um, you know, Arsenal have got a ton of problems we'll talk about in a second, but from a Watford perspective, this side showed intent, um, which is what you want to see when a team is struggling you never want to see players sort of downing tools but they were certainly certainly fighting unfortunately for Arsenal there is still quite a bit of work to do in the final third they need to be uh, a lot more clinical with their finishing but the stats were obscene uh, with regards to chances Watford had right. uh, my favourite came from good friend of the pod Duncan Alexander mm. 2% of all shots this Premier League season came from Watford in the second half of that yeah, game although <laughs>
0: we're only five games in the
2: season still but
1: I? when you think that's a lot of games that's it is a lot of chances moreover it has it has meant Arsenal Right. have faced 96 shots this season more yeah. than any other side. In the Premier League, Serie A, La Liga, Ligue 1 and the Bundesliga. Yeah, that's extraordinary. So they were under the cosh.
0: Almost 100 shots in, what, five games. Mm. It's mental. Yeah. Uh, Zui then asked Duncan if that was worse than the awful Derby team of 10 years ago. You guys will enjoy that question. Duncan, you'll no me replies, uh, Derby in 2007-08 faced 82 shots only in the <laughs> first five games. Arsenal are way ahead of that. That's not the only category they're leading. No team has conceded more penalties since the start of last season, since Embry came in, nor made more errors leading to goals. And with all due respect to Watford, that seemed like the massive headline from this game. Arsenal just bishing it up repeatedly from the back.
2: It feels a little bit harsh to draw such firm conclusions on the basis of a draw away from home. But this was Arsenal under Emery. This was bright promise, Aubameyang being brilliant, followed by structural problems and defensive ineptitude effectively and eventually causing their downfall and I think it will be the end of Emery at some point Wow! this season. I defended him last season, I kind of purely because he was taking on a, a project that had become so Arsene vengered and required such a big spring clean but he has the turnover in players at that club is extraordinary over the last two years. So he has a new squad now. There are no more excuses and they're still making exactly the same problems. You know, we talk about the number of shots faced. They're actually getting worse. You know, things like buying David Luiz, the only player of his profile who could possibly make that defence worse. Things like making substitutions that don't look like they made sense at the time and end up undermining the progress. Things like the complete lack of defensive structure and it's just so predictable now and arsenal fans are starting if they haven't already to think hang on a minute there are some managers out there out of work who might do a good job with this squad might do a better job with this squad Allegri or that fellow Arsenal yes. finger yeah or the the options which they were talking about before which was the Mikel
3: arteta freddie lumberg you right. know
2: back room staff
0: mm. The Lampard
3: approach, essentially. Or you could go the other way and go for somebody like Ralph Hasenhuttle. But one thing I find amusing about Emery and a lot of managers in the Premier League this year is this new rule of you can (laughs) pass the ball to somebody inside your penalty area. You don't Mm. have to do that. It's not The rule isn't that you have to do that now. So that first Watford goal, there are three Watford players pinned on the edge of the penalty area and another one roaming around just in case. You just think, just read the situation, and and don't pass it to Socrates. He's going to get himself in a muddle, and you can see the totally needless goal. We
2: we want managers to have philosophies, and I think that's that's wholly appropriate. But if 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 Unai Emery's philosophy is Arsenal is committed to Arsenal playing out from the back, he will not be in charge by the end of the season because they can't do it and they've repeatedly shown they can't do it and they, every side knows they can't do it. They had 40 seconds to plan that passing out from the back yesterday and they still managed to give it to the first Watford player that got near them. <laughs> it's absolutely ludicrous. So if he's committed to that then, then he's signing his own death warrant I think.
0: It was uh, an extraordinary performance in many ways by Arsenal. Uh, in the end a, d- a disappointing result for the Hornets. We heard about Arsenal under Unai Emery. What about Watford under Sanchez Flores? Then, Emma, did you see any differences? And how optimistic are you?
1: Well, um, I'll be honest. I was worried that the bounce had only lasted fifteen minutes mm. when Aubameyang started scoring, um, but it's looking good. Like I said, there was a lot of intent from that Watford side uh, yesterday. The team selection—I'll admit—the alarm bells rang a little bit. Um, it did look quite similar to a heavy Gracia side. Uh, still no Saar, who was on the bench. No Danny Welbeck whatsoever. Um, so we're not really sure why that was. Um, presumably not fit if he's not in the squad at all. Um, but Saar did come off the bench and make a difference. Um, but I think life's looking good uh, under Kike Sanchez Flores. If they can play like that going forward they've got to,
0: I mean that's second half no?
1: yeah absolutely and they've got to go to Manchester City next week which isn't ideal at all but off the face of it Norwich a, a wounded Manchester yeah. City uh, and a Watford side that aren't afa- afraid to, to press against yeah. top sides
0: exactly and a City team that's going to be coming off a trip to Shakhtar Donetsk Wherever that fixture is going to be played, somewhere. Yeah. Wow. Who, who knows, eh? Who mm. knows? Very good. Arsenal, meantime, are, have a trip of their own. They're going to be going to Frankfurt, who responded to reaching the semi finals of the Europa League last year by selling off all their goal scorers. Oh, but they brought some in. Well, they brought in Bastos, Euro goal legend Bastost. Anyway, we will uh, talk about that, no doubt, in Tuesday's totally football show some more games to bring you from the premier league weekend we'll touch on the exciting south coast teams after this hey listener what are you wearing right now could it be a little smarter could it fit a little better well the good news is we're sponsored today by tm lewin britain's favorite shirt maker who sold over 30 million shirts since they started up in 1898 They produce the finest pure two-fold cotton shirts in the classic German street style wardrobe essentials that every man needs. TM Lewin shirts are ideal for every day of the working week. They're great quality and even better value. You might say that they're Champions League shirts at championship prices. There's a T.M. Lewin design for everyone, so no matter your size or whether you prefer something plain or with stripes or a print, they have a style and a fit for you. Because you listen to the Totally Football Show, T.M. Lewin want to give you a bit of a treat. Right now, if you head to tmlewin.co.uk and enter the promo code TOTALLY at the checkout, you can get any shirt for just £24.95. There's free click-and-collect delivery to any of their 70 stores nationwide, so visit T M L E W I N dot, dot UK. enter the promo code totally to get any shirt for just £24.95 T.M. Lewin Britain's favourite shirt other games well there's one coming up Monday night as Villar host West Ham it is that way around, isn't it Matt is yes it is, it is yeah. Good? Claret, Claret right. and
3: Blue on, on Claret and
0: Blue
2: action yes At exactly the same time that David Cameron's big programme starts on BBC One which oh, is, is wonderfully ironic given his West Ham Villa Gaff. Well, right.
3: good. good for him, though, isn't it? Because he doesn't have to watch the game and <laughs> yeah. decide, you know, worry yeah. about who he's going to support. A bit political, isn't it?
0: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> now, all sorts of excitements involving teams from the South Coast. Southampton, who won their third straight in all competitions. Third straight clean sheet as well. Remarkable. Going to Sheffield United, getting a 1 0 win there. Chris Wilder again, very grumpy at full time. Also, we saw Bournemouth absolutely doing a number on Everton, the number being three, to Everton's one, and, and Brighton pegged back at the death by Burnley, but all in all pretty positive. Daniel, let's talk about uh, the Bournemouth game because that's a, a big result for a, a Cherry side who, who've struggled so far this season.
2: Yeah, and a big result for Marcus Silva as well, I think, because he Everton of becoming this groundhog team that spends around 100 million pounds in a summer and finishes eighth they did it in 1718 they did it in 1819 and the way they're going with this kind of inconsistency away from home they're going to do it again in 1920 uh, they've one point against villa away palace away and bournemouth away is not what fahad mashiri et al expect from silver i think it feels like we constantly need to have a manager under pressure and i think now, Marco Silva probably is that Premier League manager under pressure.
0: I see, I currently think... it's, it's Bournemouth in 8th place
1: Yeah, I, th- I do think Marco Silva is under pressure. Um, again, it was another poor away performance and just the contrast between what they're doing at home and away, I think a lot of the fans are finding it difficult to place their finger on exactly why it's happening, but tactically, he was the same at Watford, he seems to be getting it a bit wrong um, at Everton. A lot of question marks yesterday over why he was starting Calvert-Lewin over um, Moise Keane, mm. There could be an injury issue there. He might have taken a knock that he's carrying. We don't know. I think he probably brought him on a bit too late in that game uh, to make any real impact. Um, And with Moyes Keane, there was so much excitement when they finally got their man. And half the reason he left Juve was he wasn't getting regular game time there. So for him to find himself... Sitting on a bench in a game like that until the seventieth minute—it just seems very bizarre. If Everton are finally going to move forward, having spent all this money and not just consistently finish around the eighth place mark, they have to be winning games like this against Bournemouth away, and they're not. So I do think I do think the pressure is mounting on Marco Silva, and I'm not saying it because I'm a bitter Watford fan. I think <laughs> I think he's getting found out slowly but surely.
2: It's a cliche we say these kind of games are won in midfield, but. You look at the amount of money that Everton has spent, I, li- I like Fabian Delph, he's a solid footballer, but having Fabian Delph and Morgan Schneidlin as a mm. centre midfielder pairing, Bournemouth had Philip Billing and Lewis Cook and they were they were brilliant yesterday. Cook has got something to prove after a long-term injury, Philip Billing has got something to prove after a poor season with Huddersfield last season, but they were on it, they were intense and they were they were fighting for everything. Delph and Schneidlin, it was just so passive um, they- and it was just the other day on this very show that we were
0: touting Everton as the new thing and Marco Silva as having proved the haters wrong. So what's gone wrong?
2: The reputation about his management has always been that he struggles to maximise a good mood. So every now and then a rotten away performance will come in and they'll lose someone. You think, well, it's like you've just not turned up for that game. Right. Um, which offers the you know offers the hypothesis that he struggles to motivate the players every, every week. I see,
3: but yeah, he doesn't seem know. like much. He, he, he's not a particularly dynamic character, is he? Which you probably get quite old quite early on. But but Eddie Howe as the opposite, you know, never going to lose his job at Bournemouth. But they're going to do one of those things now where they'll win four games in a row. He'll get linked with the Spurs job. Then they'll lose four games in a row, mm-hmm. and he won't Ar- get linked Arsenal with the Spurs anyway. You're perhaps. full of joy today, mate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, as it as it stands,
0: it is Bournemouth who are up in eighth spot. Uh, meantime, Brighton had that one more draw with Burnley And as I say, uh, Sheffield United lost at home to Southampton uh, The goal in this one though, second of the season for Ginepro Oh my word, uh, the boys are a bit special
2: Yeah, apparently so And one of those who comes into the team Unlike uh, someone like Sofiana Bufal Who has a bit of baggage to overcome Comes in with that freedom to give it a go And mm. as exactly as we said about Chelsea That's pretty powerful Um, If you've got that freedom and that faith of a manager, Ralph Hasen, who's less said, he will, you know, there's a meritocracy here. I'll pick who impresses me. And yeah, he's taken advantage. When you talk about Bufal's baggage, what what, what exactly do you mean? Well, he was at the club. It didn't work out well. He went out on loan for a season, came back, was told he could fight for his place. But I think probably it's fair to say would have liked a permanent move away this summer, which didn't come. So yeah, he's slightly struggling for relevance there. Something I
1: need to add to that. Mm Mm-hmm. Apparently you pronounce his name Jenapu. Jenapu. Jenapu.
0: He sounds like a proper. We, we stood but... correct.
1: No, we stood corrected yesterday. It's Did from you? from the words of his mouth. Musa Jenapu.
0: Jenapu. Just on Sheffield. Just on the Blades. Breaking news. Saudi Prince has won High Court battle for control of the club over Kevin McCabe, a, a lifelong Blades fan who says he's bitterly disappointed. He's got to sell his stake now to the Sheikh Prince Abdullah.
3: 5 million and uh, I'm not sure but what does that mean for the club is that gonna is there disruption or is it you would think probably not disruption because they've got a great manager in place and Mm. and um, the co-owners as they were have both been there for a while it actually might work out in their favor because it's been a real bitter dispute between the two of them so Mm. if there's if there's one person in charge and and a bit of clarity and harmony it might work out in their favor but you know who knows maybe maybe this guy wanted to get rid of Chris Wilder all along and and I don't know, bring in Steve McLaren or something, in which case, not
0: I've good. got to say, if I was a supporter, I'd be slightly concerned. You'd, you'd rather have local uh, participation, wouldn't you, in the, in the ownership than a, a prince from the Middle East?
3: But, yeah, I mean, generally, you, yes, you would rather that. But then ask a Manchester City fan, what would they rather? Mm, well, and yeah, and Prince
2: Abdullah, not, he's not been a, a a sideshow during their rise. He's been there, you know, he's been behind decision-making already. Right. It's just a, more of a power coup, I suppose.
0: Okay, Fair. Right, Okay. Uh, Well, Villa and West Ham still to come on Monday night. But that pretty much wraps things up for the Premier League for now. We're still going to talk about the Cowleys, a little bit about Europe, WSL, all that sort of thing. But before any of that, it's producer Ben.
2: Thank you very much, Jim Boatsley Lee Price from Paddy Powell on the line as always. And Lee, I want to talk about Europe for this section, please. Let's kick off with four English clubs and four English wins
5: in the Champions League. And uh, why don't you tell us who the overall favourites are, too? Oh, Ben, that's so you. You're so patriotic. Uh, the numbers suggested that yes, this is possible. Even performance over the weekend offer a mixed bag in terms of evidence. Let's start with the most probable, look according to the odds Man City away to Shakhtar. Two to seven, they win there. They like that fixture, and they should bounce back from the Norwich shock. Then it's Chelsea at home to Valencia. Not an easy game, but Chelsea in good form. Valencia in chaos after sacking their boss. Four to five, the Blues prevail there. Arsenal at home to Lille was four to nine, and then you have got the challenging one, supposedly according to the odds. Liverpool five to four, twenty against Napoli. We still do Beckham favourites though, as we do with the other three English teams. So a four-way there is around eight and a half to one. And English favourites will be a recurring pattern this season, at least for the group stage. In the outright market, Man City the favourites at 16-5. Liverpool second favourites, 11-2, level with Barcelona. And over
2: to the Europa League, please, Lee. Not feeling quite so confident here, so let's look at draws for Man U, Arsenal and Wolves. And why don't you tell us who the favourites for this tournament are too?
5: Yeah, the Europa League would be interesting, wouldn't it? Wolves in particular, having struggled domestically, it would be great to see what they're going to do on Thursday night. Their odds on to beat Braga, but it's 11-4 for the draw there, and we do fancy Wolves. Arsenal away at Frankfurt, tough game, but again, they are the favourites at 5-4. The draw there is 12-5. United at home to Astana, they're 1-7 to win this fixture. The draw is 13-2, the visitors 16-1, by the way. It'd be a classic recent United result, though, wouldn't it, not to win that? If you do fancy free draws in these games, Ben, it's 95-1. A lot of that coming from the United draw. And that's perhaps because they're our favourites to win the Europa League this season. They're nine to two in the outright betting. Arsenal second favourites, a bit like the Champions League this, eleven to two. Wolves, by the way, joint fifth favourites alongside Lazio at sixteen to one.
0: You can find out these odds and more at PaddyPower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. And when the fun stops, stop. Matt, yeah, apart of your busy weekend was doing Chelsea Brighton and the WSL. How was that? Yes, it
3: was. Yeah, it was uh, a a disappointing performance from Chelsea, I've got to say. Brighton, very resolute, dogged team under Hope Powell. That's kind of her trademark uh, as a coach. Chelsea struggled to break them down and having a bit of a slow start to the season. They did beat Spurs but weren't great in that game and, Mm. and, uh, and this is what cost them last season. They ended up being a long way off the Champions Arsenal uh, because they had a, a difficult start. But Brighton were impressive, um, a fairly fairly limited squad of players in a lot of ways. But they picked up Megan Walsh from Yeovil in the summer, the goalkeeper who... Made more saves than any other keeper in WSL last year. She had a lot of shots faced right. at her as part of that Yeovil team, and she made a big difference. She's a really assured presence for them at the back. But yeah, overall across the weekend, like we saw last weekend, there's no real wallopings going on. No. It seems this season, which is it, which is a good thing. Biggest margin of victory two 0 for Man City at Reading and Everton against Bristol City. Really yeah. worth looking at Chloe Kelly's goal yeah. for Everton. The second uh, in particular. My goodness me, yeah, two in the space of a couple of minutes. But so
0: uh, I, you see now. It, my kind of preconceptions, and ignorant as they are, about uh, great goals in women's football would not have been that you'll get this consistent run of, of of
3: screamers from distance. Yeah, it seems to be something that's happened in the first two weeks of the season in particular. Um, a lot of players coming into the season with a lot of confidence off the back of good World Cups. Maybe that helps. I uh, should also say Spurs won their first mm. WSL game. They beat Liverpool by a goal to nil Liverpool finish with with 10 players in that one. And I think Birmingham are going to have a long and difficult season. They lost key players like Ellen White in the summer. Uh, Their manager, Mark Skinner, left halfway through last season. Uh, They're struggling a bit. They lost at West Ham. They've been beaten in their opening two games. But it's nice and there's there's not a massive disparity between the top teams and the bottom teams as shown by the fact that Chelsea couldn't beat Brighton, whereby they won 4-0, I think, there. Last season. And we've got Man United-Arsenal tonight, which is a big game. I'll say. Excellent.
0: All right. Uh, Coming up then on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday, of course, we're off to Europe, Emma, for Champions League and, of course, Europa League, of course. Which game, can I ask you, which Mm. one game are you most looking forward to seeing?
1: It's hard to pick. Well, first up, Liverpool's trip to Napoli just to see if any of the players are able to get dressed. Uh, I think
0: this is a slight exaggeration about the state of the. (laughs) Angelotti wasn't happy but they'll be able to get
1: changed it's difficult to look past PSG um, Rao isn't it
0: although Dortmund Barcelona I was just
1: about to say I think for me that is my pick Um, I have a sneaky suspicion Dortmund might do a job here really yeah they won 4-0 against Bayern Leverkusen at the weekend Mm. um, where they spent most of that game out of possession playing on the counter-attack which would probably be very similar against Barcelona Mm -hmm. and Jadon Sancho just must be licking his lips at this opportunity He's been prolific so far. Once more for Borussia Dortmund this season, um, and I just think he'd be looking at this this game and thinking, "What another brilliant chance, uh, just to put his name out there."
0: Right. Although Barcelona had a pretty big win, as we mentioned, before. Mm. they did five two over yeah, Valencia.
2: It's funny in a way that Valencia treated Marcelino so badly and promptly conceded five, which they never did under Marcelino. Yeah. Uh, in the first game afterwards, oh, I mean, Barça were good, but it was an under-strength Barça. Yeah, you know, with Fati is his second appearance, first start for Barcelona. Scores right. after two minutes, sets one up after about eight minutes. Yeah, just look, the confidence of the boy, not man, um, was astonishing. Yeah, on
0: in Tuesday's uh, Tony Football Show, mm. we'll be asking Alvaro uh, about the comparisons that are being drawn between this 16-year-old prodigy and other prodigies that have come through the ranks at Barcelona, but. Yeah, uh, Suarez coming on late scoring. Messi watching on. Not sure when he'll be returning whether there's any question of him possibly being ready for this this game no. I don't
2: think he'll certainly certainly don't think
0: he'll start on. There on was a big week. return meantime for Paris Saint-Germain meantime as Neymar suited up for the Parisians much to the chagrin of their local of their support who booed him consistently through the game right up until I think it was the 92nd minute, wasn't it? When he pulled off an incredible overhead kick to win them uh, their game. Who was it against? Strasbourg. That's right. Mm. Matt, were you watching that one? I here? wasn't, no. OK. But he's suspended for the midweek clash with Real Madrid. So it's possibly Acardi if they can get him fit for the game. He, he did make a brief appearance in the Strasbourg match. And Eric Chupamoting. Mm. So anyway, we're here about all that stuff. Uh, on on Tuesday, uh, Thursday Jack Lang's going to be joining us, and, and uh, in the course of which we're going to be asking him about Sergio Ramos's series on Amazon. Have you have you watched that?
2: Anyone? I have read Jack's summation of it. Yeah. Okay, and, and I think it's probably better than it. the series. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, that that uh, that review coming up on on Thursday, Matt. I did wonder though. Could you tell us a little bit more ahead of Wednesday's football league show about how the Cowleys got on? Because it was such an interesting. Game for them to start with
3: for Huddersfield against the team that they rejected, Sheffield Wednesday. Yeah, and a team that also had a manager um, in the dugout for the first time for them, in, in Gary Monk, and it, and oh. it was um, he was the happier of the 2 1 2 0 at Huddersfield. Uh, Gary Monk, a, a really interesting character, I think. There's this kind of controversy around him that that, has, that meant that he left Birmingham, that meant that you know he left Leeds under something of a cloud, but championship clubs seem to just gravitate towards him regardless of that Sheffield Wednesday is a great job for him to get but the Cowley thing I find fascinating that people are so fascinated by them. I mean, they're brothers who work together and obviously they've done a really good job. Well, they um, used to be PE teachers. Yeah, of course, and and they used to manage Concord really. and, and, and since yeah. then their career's really taken off. Um yes. Sorry. Uh, but yeah, it's it's a really weird job for them to have taken, I think. I think to, to choose Huddersfield over Sheffield Wednesday, I'm, I'm not quite sure what the thinking is behind that because Huddersfield, already at this stage of the season, the aim is to stop them from getting successive relegations. I don't think there's any way given the mood around the club and the quality of their squad that they can even be thinking of a late push for the playoffs. So it's a really, really interesting move for them to have made and, and it's going to be fascinating to see if it proves to be the right one given that they could have gone to Sheffield Wednesday which seems like a much more stable club on a, on a bit of a better footing at the moment than, than Huddersfield are interesting
0: uh, can we get a, a quick update on how Bolton are uh, getting on after their trolley <laughs> dash at the end of the it transfer window well this weekend, Not, lots of it? good no 6-1 6-1 six. Six six yeah. to Rotherham
2: yeah they took the lead though
0: right and then yeah yeah Excellent. All right. Well, that's coming up on Wednesday. Jack Lang in on Thursday with Lindsey Hooper and Michael Cox. And Tuesday, of course, is our big Euro
3: preview show. Uh, you're doing a football quiz tonight with producer Ben and Nick Miller. Yeah, apparently so. Tifo football. Um, I'm not quite sure why I've been selected. Although, Emma, we did quite well at the Opto one, didn't we? We did. Were you on a team We, weren't bottom, yeah.
1: we weren't bottom by, no, any, I, we by were, any means. We were firmly
3: mid-table. I think, you know? yeah. With this kind good. of thing, you're never going to beat the Sky Sports stats guys or whatever. Are they there? So, Yeah. yeah, if, yeah. If, you, if you can get podium, that's great. But we'd just be looking for a bit of respectability, I think. Brilliant. All
0: right. <laughs> Emma, what are you, you going to be up to in the next few days?
1: Uh, I'm definitely going to be remaining horizontal after yesterday's heart failure of watching Watford. Especially right. in those dying moments. Moments, having been on air for six hours so Crikey. that is my plan yes for it's a
0: long time to be on
1: air yes well especially when during the commentaries you meant to get a bit of a break but unfortunately as you mentioned there were broadcast issues at Watford which meant um, I did keep having to pick up and did kind you of do
0: the commentary yourself then on repeat? that game
1: no no okay. other than when I was watching the screen and Bamiyang scored his second right um, which I had to kind of sound marginally enthusiastic about.
0: Can I say that my worst broadcast, well, among my worst broadcast experiences, <laughs> right up there with doing the uh, live link up on BBC in, in the World Cup in France with a group of French people who didn't speak English. And of course, my debut live appearance when I forgot, you know, the, the much missed Ray Wilkins's name in my first ever Live appearance we, we have been the times when you're hosting a, a game and the commentary goes down and you have to fill in, yes, because I'm singularly ill suited to that. Uh, Daniel, anything you want to flag up that we can read from the story
2: Uvra this week? No, I'm at Chelsea Valencia tonight, okay, yeah, Good uh, for the eye, and that's it,
0: brilliant. All right, well, listen, whatever you're up to in the next few days, make totally a part of your football experience. And many thanks for being with us today. Thanks also to Emma, Daniel and Matt. Hope you've had a good time with us, listener. We'll catch you soon.
3: You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email sales at muddyneesmedia.com Keep up to date with everything across our Totally Football network at The Totally Show on Twitter. And make sure you check out our brand new website too, thetotallyfootballshow.com.